There's a major issue looming for every district in the greater Houston area, and one district has already had to close schools because of it. Houston Landing's education reporter Miranda Dunlap joins me to explain how this big problem could impact parents, students, and teachers. It's Monday, January 8th, 2024. I'm Rahil Ramzanali, and here's what Houston's talking about. Miranda, welcome back to CityCast Houston. New year, new you, right? <laughs> yes. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. So last year, obviously, the biggest story in education around the Houston area was the HISD takeover, right? I'm going to put you on the spot and I'm going to make you guess. What is going to be 2024's <laughs> biggest story in education from around the greater Houston area? Yeah. uh, So the easy answer would be to say like it hasn't happened yet. So I don't know. Um, (laughs) But if I if I had to guess, I think it's kind of going to be about all things money. No additional public school funds were allocated by the legislature. And unless there is like a surprise special session, um, we could wait until about 2025 to see that change. And pandemic relief funds are drying up for districts. So I think you're going to start seeing um, some difficult decisions being made as districts kind of confront their financial situations and probably going to have to, you know, you're going to see the cutting of a lot of services for students and the impacts of that. Yeah. And I think that is the biggest story that parents and students should be focusing on, right? Because of Mm -hmm. that COVID money running out, because no new money was approved, budgets are all the talk right now. And we'll start with this budget fall, right? Like Spring Branch ISD is the biggest story going on right now because they're going to be closing five campuses, three of them being charter schools. Now, are these cuts mainly because of the lack of public school funding or are there other reasons as well? It really is kind of depending on who you ask where that blame is being shifted. So the district has been really vocal about this being the fault of the legislature and how they haven't allocated any more funding while inflation is impacting districts really heavily. Um, And they've also been very vocal about, you know, they're in more of a unique position and they have to pay recapture. So they have to actually give money back. But also you have to look at some of these other factors like um, enrollment at these schools They've been pretty vocal about the fact that, you know, Treasure Forest, one of the schools being closed in particular, was not operating anywhere near capacity. And, you know, some of the the school that students are going to be shifted to was also not operating anywhere near capacity. So you kind of have to think about, um, you know, by by closing one and merging them, they no longer have, you know, the cost associated with running this entire facility. So I guess all that to say, you kind of have some other factors like, you know, I... I'm not quite sure like what that trend has looked like in recent years, but you do have some campuses that are, you know, enrollment was was low compared to like what what the school can handle. And so that definitely has an impact, too. Yeah, that was going to be my next question regarding what happens with the students of the schools that are closing. Are they just left out on their own? Are they merging with other schools? Is there another plan? What's happening? Yeah. And so, yeah, this is a pretty loaded question because I think it, it really depends. Um, and each each campus is kind of in a different situation about like where, where those students will go. Um, They've kind of, you know, rearranged some of the boundaries within the district to allow students to go to different places and kind of even things out across different campuses. But the idea is they're opening up, you know, more classrooms in some campuses and they're routing students at some campuses to other schools that have more space. So students will have a place to go. It's just, 
won't be that neighborhood school that they're used to, um, mm. which is, you know, going to be hard on some of these families, um, especially some, some some of the families that I've talked to. Yeah, the families that you talk to, what are they saying regarding these decisions? Because it seems like it's impacting underserved families right now. Yeah, yeah. So um, in the time that I've spent in the community, I think like the the overall feeling is people are scared. These are these are changes that are difficult. And you're thinking about a disruption to the routine for these families. And you're thinking about, you know, students who live in more disadvantaged communities where things like how you transport a kid to a new location is a big deal. For some parents, these schools are kind of like a, a generational thing. Like they went to the school, their other kids went to the school. It's it's like a fixture in their community. So it's kind of hard to fathom that becoming obsolete. And it's also, you know, you have barriers like larger Spanish speaking populations in these areas, and maybe they don't speak English or English isn't their first language. So they have over time developed relationships with people that they know have their kids' best interests and can help them navigate. And so to see these kind of ties severed is really where you know, people are, are scared and sad. Yeah, absolutely. As they should be like, I can't even imagine, right? Like one day you wake up and somebody goes, Hey, guess what? Your school's closing and you're actually going to be now going to this different school. You're gonna have to figure this all out. And yeah, that routine is disrupted and it's a scary thought. And could this be the future for other ISDs as well? Are they going to have to make these tough decisions regarding closing schools because of budget reasons? Yeah. And so I'll say I don't know the financial situation of like all the districts in the area, right? But if I had to make an educated guess, I would say that Spring Branch is um, the first and a very vocal example of choices and situations that other districts will be forced to make eventually if no more funding comes through. Okay, now let's move to Fort Bend ISD, where Dr. Christy Whitbeck suddenly announced her retirement, quote unquote, late last year. I mean, like she retired, but I don't know if she was forced into (laughs) retirement. Now that you've had some time to investigate this, what really happened over there? Yeah, I mean, what didn't happen (laughs) is maybe the better (laughs) question. Um, Some parts of this are still really up in the air, I will say. So the work here is not done. Um, The investigation Mm -hmm. on our end is not complete. So I'll have more information later on, but kind of a cursory glance, um, what we know right now is you have a case where everything that went down when the superintendent announced a very hasty retirement, and then there was a pretty heated board meeting where they voted her retirement through, it really showed some fractures on this board. And you have a lot of disagreement amongst trustees of what actually led to that retirement. Now, Whitbeck says that she was given an ultimatum by the board president, And the disagreement, I think, right now kind of lies in whether how this came about was right and correct and what trustees were on board with it. Um, So, you know, there were allegations of a walking quorum by one of the trustees. Um, She alleged that the board president and multiple board members, you know, maybe engaged in that to kind of coordinate her, her exit. And there were allegations that these allegations are political ploys. And, you know, maybe everyone was on board with going in a different direction with the superintendent. So I guess, you know, we'll kind of see how it shakes out eventually when we know more. And it was kind of wild that after the retirement was announced, like all of a sudden, Fort Bend ISD saying, hey, guess what, we actually have this candidate for the new superintendent position, Mark Smith. Do you think that was a move that was already planned beforehand? Or 
is this like legit like they found mark smith and like okay he can take over here like i know i'm i'm playing like house of cards over here and yeah. trying to get like really <laughs> uh spicy with some of these stories but the timing was kind of weird yeah i mean you had community members who were i mean some were shocked that this happened right away because you know in a large district like this, it's it's pretty common to have a, a national search for a, a superintendent to lead this district and to gather community input and to really hear like, what direction do we want to go in? But I think it was made very clear when <laughs> a weekish later, you have the board saying, two days from now, we're going to introduce who the next superintendent finalist is. Um, yeah. And so that, you know, shows that, you know, they 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 knew what they were doing. They knew who it wanted to be. And so it's clear now that Mark Smith was a candidate in their last superintendent search when they ended up going with Whitbeck. Um, they said the timing wasn't right at that point. So I don't know if we can really say like how long they knew that Mark Smith would be the next person. Um, can't definitively say how long that was brewing, but <laughs> he was a, a candidate the last time around. So they've known him. Yeah. And they knew him quickly again as well. Now, one last story in Fort Bend ISD. The big headline last week was the announcement of armed security guards at all Fort Bend elementary schools after the district got the funds approved with the voter-approved tax rate election. What's been the community feedback so far with that news? Because they already had them at middle school and high school campuses. Now it's just everywhere, including elementary schools. I think this is really interesting, right? Because a major criticism of this law is not that people don't want armed officers in schools, you know, with rise of violence and, you know, outside threats. People want their kids to be safe. And I think, you know, across the aisle, it seems like there was support for this measure. So what's interesting, though, is the, the criticism kind of lies in how this mandate was unfunded and districts already struggling with money, you know, had to kind of scramble to make it work. And so I think the fact that Fort Bend, you know, was able to figure it out and will now have that at every campus is kind of a sort of sense of pride for a lot of people that, you know, they know that their kids are you know, perhaps going to be safer at school because of this. But most districts are passing um, exemptions or kind of workarounds while they figure out, like, how are they going to fund this measure? And, you know, the mm-hmm. fact that Fort Bend was able to do it makes them kind of an outlier. Yeah. It, and it's that funding is the big question, right? As I mentioned, that voter-approved tax rate election, that passed. So that helped out Fort Bend. And I know we were talking about this last year when this news broke, it's like, can you find candidates who will take this position, even if you have the funds? And, and that is exactly that. I mean, I can tell you in, in time that I've spent in other districts and from my own reporting um, in the Houston area, I mean, you are dealing with, you know, officer shortages and districts um, have told me that you, you can have a police officer, but that doesn't mean that they're, you know, the right fit for being in mm-hmm. a school. It's It's too completely very different things. And it's, it's hard to find those those candidates. So not only the money, but like you said, also finding finding the people. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting thing to watch out for as well. Okay, now let's move to HISD, our biggest district, where they finally received their district of innovation designation. Now, what is this going to allow them to do? And why did it take so long? Because there are other big districts in the area that already had this. So you're seeing this now because this measure actually came up a few years back and the district advisory committee, um, they blocked it. 
they were not in favor of doing this. And it was, you know, rather smooth sailing this time around because Superintendent Mike Miles stacked the committee with people that favored it. So it was easier to push it through. Um, the big things with this designation is that I'm sure everyone's heard the school year will be extended. So it'll be 180 days rather than 172. And they can extend that further in the future, maybe to 185. I feel like there's been talk of that. Um, they can also hire uncertified high school teachers. And Mike Miles can implement, you know, his own sort of teacher evaluation system rather than using the TEA's, you know, standard one. So <laughs> there, there's some key changes there. Yeah, that's going to be interesting because I can speak to my experience, right? Like with the school year starting earlier, I have a daughter in Fort Bend ISD. They are a district of innovation. We do start a lot earlier than HISD. School starts a little bit earlier as well. And I kind of like it. Like, have you had a chance to speak to parents about this by any chance? So my colleague Asher actually did quite a bit of reporting on um, how people felt about this. And one thing that stuck with me, I believe it was the headline on his story about how people felt about it is, you know, is this more school or is it more torture? Because that is what one mm. community member said is that, you know, longer days in HISD equals more torture. So I think there was kind of mixed reactions. Some people feel like more time in the classroom is a really good thing when they're trying to, you know, make all these changes and boost performance. But other people feel like you're you're wearing people down, wearing down uh, staff and, and students. Mm, that's going to be interesting. Okay. I want to ask you about this bill that we've heard about for a while now. And this is the bill that has passed allowing public schools in Texas to hire chaplains. And the school districts have until March to vote on whether or not to allow chaplains in their schools. Where are things right now with the Houston area school districts when it comes to this bill? Yes. So that's a really interesting question. Um, I've been tracking this loosely. And so the only districts that I've seen start discussing it so far is Umble and Katie. Though keep in mind, it could be missing some. Uh, Umble has sent the matter mm -hmm. to their district advisory committee to kind of get some feedback about what people think about this. But in Katie, there was a pretty lengthy discussion um, with some back and forth and the perspectives range. Um, this is such a interesting topic because this is really just the beginning. There's so many different ways that this could end up looking like once districts actually write this into policy, because it's not like a, a, a blanket policy that's being passed down that they say, yes or no, we want this. It's they're going to kind of create it themselves if they want to allow it. Um, and so in Katie, there was a pretty lengthy discussion about, you know, maybe this is more support for kids and will ease up on teachers or others think, you know, maybe this is an overstep um, with re religion should come from home. And, you know, there's a lot of clashing perspectives, but I do think it's important to, to watch how it plays out because it's not going to be the same in every district. Oh, gotcha. Okay. We will see how that plays out. All right. Final thing, Miranda, did I miss any stories that should be on our radar for 2024? Yeah. Um, one interesting thing is um, Umble ISD is considering, or they will consider a switch to possibly a hybrid setup on their board. Um, currently, their trustees are at large elected, and they are considering possibly moving towards more single member districts where you would have, you know, different fractions of the community where they would elect um, community members would elect someone from their geographic area, which is like how HIC was set up before the takeover. And so I think this is a really, you know, interesting, broader conversation about geographic representation and what people want. And I think 
it would be very interesting to keep tabs on what direction they move with that. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like represent your community because they might know a little bit better about what's happening. So it just makes a little bit more sense. And we'll see how that plays out as well. Miranda, there's going to be a lot of educational stories in 2024. I can't wait to see all your reporting and stay on top of it. Thank you so much for everything you do at the Houston Landing. Thank you so much for having me. That was Miranda Dunlap. You can read all of her work on Houston Landing or with the links in our show notes. So which district are your children in and what is something you're watching out for in 2024? Let us know by sending us a message on Instagram at CityCastHouston. That will do it for today. Thank you for listening and I hope you learned something new. I am freezing today. Sorry. Three, two, one. Um, I'm so sorry. Can you repeat your question? <laughs>